You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. Father James Shaw, I want to continue on our series on uh, political philosophy a, a bit, and I uh, want to talk a bit uh, on this series on Hobbes, um, Locke, and Rousseau. As you know that these are authors who are very much uh, written about and indeed are very important in understanding modern political thought. They follow on the sequence of Machiavelli uh, and the question of the founding of a state uh, in some sense independent of any kind of, of relationship to uh, the natural order or to um, revelation. The three books, uh, Locke's, uh, Hobbes's book, uh, The Leviathan, is quite a long book, and Hobbes himself is a, um, a kind of an atheist, a skeptic kind of a writer who wrote in the... Um, uh, English uh, 1600s uh, uh, about the question of um, the civil wars in England. Locke's book, uh, the one we uh, use, is relatively short, called The Second Treatise on Civil Government. And the third book is, uh, again, relatively short, uh, Rousseau's book uh, in the 18th century on um, uh, civil co uh, social contract. Now, Hobbes' book, The Leviathan, is a um, book which uh, purports to explain human behavior, human nature in itself and in the political order. And Hobbes, Locke, and Rousseau are all what you might call state of nature theorists. And the state of nature for them is a kind of a one would almost have to say a parody on um, the Garden of Eden. That is to say, they purport to explain how the state came about and how it must operate from premises which are hypothetical uh, and yet pictured in terms of um, uh, some kind of state of human beings in the beginning. So for Hobbes, in the beginning, the life of everybody was completely individualistic. Um, and as he said, that in the state of nature, life is uh, nasty, brutish, and short. And there is a war of all against all. And so that uh, the question is, uh, what happens in this kind of a situation? Well, what happens in this kind of situation is each everybody's at, at loggerheads because everybody has, in effect, a right uh, to uh, stay alive. And our very problem of the term right in modern philosophy is precisely, particularly political philosophy, is precisely whether it has a reference to the earlier natural law tradition in which there is some kind of a transcendent order, or whether or not its postulate is simply that we are able to do what is ever necessary for us to do to do what we want, which is more or less what Hobbes held. 
And so Hobbes uh, had also a, an understanding of human nature in which he said that human nature has one basic um, emotion or fear, and that is the fear of violent death. And so if you get control of the threat to violent death to someone, he will uh, automatically, if you threaten him with that, do what you tell him to do. So it becomes a kind of a principle of order. And Hobbes is uh, called the founder of modern political philosophy in the sense, in the scientific sense, of reducing all to a certain basic atom or principle, and then constructing the state on the basis of that. So the basis is that we're all individuals. We're not social animals. Uh, the only way we become social animals is through a logical argument, uh, and that logical argument is presupposed to the fear of violent death of, um, of everybody. And so Hobbes is, as I say, considered to be the founder of modern scientific political philosophy and also the founder of modern liberalism in the sense, in the sense that if you can solve the problem of uh, civil war, uh, then what you'll be left with in Hobbes' sense is um, uh, a concentration on uh, wealth and prosperity. And therefore, you will not be distracted by uh, religion or uh, philosophy. So for Hobbes, in his analysis of the English civil wars in the 1600s, was that it was caused by religion and philosophy. And therefore, in order to get rid of the war, you get rid of religion and philosophy. And how do you do that? Well, you do that by threatening people who propose a uh, uh, um, religious or political or philosophical principles with violent death if they uh, continue on the thing. So therefore, they then are reduced to simply doing the economic and, and social things uh, and not threaten everybody. So that was his order. And his more or less his belief also applied to the nations, that the nations stand to each other in the same way as, as uh, not having any kind of relationship to each other except through power and except through, therefore, their fear of one another. So Hobbes then becomes a kind of a founder of a, of a type of thought, both in uh, national and international politics, uh, that would um, uh, purport to be scientific um, based upon some principle by which you could achieve uh, a peace, and uh, that peace would be indifferent to the distinctions of philosophy and religion. So how does he work? Well, if, if everybody fears violent death, they recognize that their life isn't going to be very long, so they have to get out of this state of nature somehow. And how do they do that? Well, they do that by making a pact with one another that they will give all of their power, assign all their power to a, a, a leader, a leviathan, a state, in which they will agree to follow the, the will of the leader, so this is a will theory and not a reason theory, and do what is uh, back up whatever he says, uh, so that any cause of disturbance is then immediately eliminated by by the virtue of the fact that uh, people who've joined together are stronger than an individual, even though the individual does not lose his uh, right to do whatever he needs to do to stay alive and to be prosperous. 
So that never changes in him, and that becomes, later on, as we'll see, a problem in Rousseau uh, that Rousseau tries to solve. So it's still he's still an individualist, even if he has to uh, conform to the state. Now Locke was, in many ways, a commentator on Hobbes, and Locke also had a state of nature. Uh, but in his state of nature, in the beginning, uh, things were relatively uh, peaceful. People were going around and uh, gathering whatever they need to gather to stay alive. Uh, and that they also, though, had a right uh, to acquire whatever they needed uh, to stay alive. And so they as yet were not social animals either, social beings either. And uh, to understand Locke, however, you have to understand that uh, something happened in English politics in the late 16th century, which is known as the Glorious Revolution. So in a way, Hobbes is a, is a um, writer who justifies the English absolute monarchy, and the absolute monarchy uh, founded by Elizabeth and, and Henry said that there is no uh, authority higher uh, in the state than the, um, than the king. And so the king is therefore the head of the state, the head of the church, the head of every organization. And all organizations beneath it are simply uh, wings of or administered by uh, the power of the state and, their, and its legitimacy. Their law cover came along in the time of the Glorious Revolution in which there was a controversy or a war in England between the Puritans and the Anglicans for control of the English system. And so what happened was that the um, English monarchs of the late 16th century, the Stuart monarchs, were uh, finally expelled and replaced by, they were, uh, the later ones were Catholic, and, uh, the, uh, and they were replaced by a Dutch Protestant, King William, uh, King William and, and, and Mary. And therefore they had to justify a theory whereby that would be legitimate. And that's the theory that Locke uh, developed. And how does it work? Well, Locke said in the state of nature, of course, you have a right to accumulate um, whatever is necessary for your sustenance for one year. Uh, but people would get in arguments with each other and fights with each other about who, what belonged to what. So therefore, they had to set up some kind of a, uh, an arbitrator, uh, which is the origin of um, a, a court system and a, and a political system, to decide uh, which uh, person had the better of the argument. And therefore, it became the function of the legislator uh, to, uh, to do this. And uh, so that meant that um, the um, English victors who were uh, in William and Mary had to justify um, their uh, replacement of an absolute monarch. Well, they did that by making the, the parliament sovereign and subordinating the queen or the king uh, to the parliament. So now from then on, the king only ruled with the consent of the parliament. So this is the origin of that tradition which we're aware of about the relationship or the subordination uh, of the uh, monarch and his relationship to the judiciary and to the uh, legislature. Uh, Locke also had a theory that all property 
uh, was uh, yours, provided you put labor into it. So the famous labor theory of value, which comes up in Marx also, uh, is uh, comes out of uh, uh, comes out of uh, Locke. Now, so Locke then uh, justifies the um, what happened in the uh, what happened in the time of the Reformation was that the many of the Catholic properties then were taken over by Protestant families, and so they had to they became the they became the uh, uh, legislators uh, in in Parliament. So it was a kind of an oligarchy, and therefore the um, uh, British Parliament then became the central power. Um, and so let's go on then. So Locke's uh, famous book then, the second treatise on uh, civil government. Uh, this book is a one of great influence both in British tra uh, history and in our history. And it rose out of the Glorious Revolution, the one that was called Glorious because it uh, didn't have any bloodshed connected to it as it did the earlier. It was simply a replacement of one British house by the Dutch house, which then became the British, uh, the British house. So that what the English did then was to reject the House of Stuart and introduce the House of Orange and uh, to the throne. And so the Stuarts, as I said, were Catholic, while the Dutch were Protestant. And the significant, significance of the change, of course, that it was the elevation of Parliament over the king and as a um, uh, control of the, and uh, the control of the king, and henceforward uh, the king could not act except with the consent of Parliament, uh, which is in English theory still the case. The uh, basics of this system, as I said, are still in um, uh, are still in effect in England. American theory was uh, designed both to follow and to differ from the system at various points. Uh, we do not have a king, but we do have a president, a modification of the same office uh, in its own ways. Thus, Locke uh, also writes in the context of uh, uh, institutions um, and the shift from the supremacy of the king to the supremacy of parliament. And henceforth, the king governs in and by way of authority of parliament. And the parliament is supreme, and it makes the rules. And following Hobbes, however, the question is whether civil or natural law still uh, limits the parliament. Can it make the Leviathan do what it wants, or uh, recalling Machiavelli, uh, what is necessary uh, to stay in power? So basically, the uh, shift from Hobbes to Locke was not really a shift in the question of the supremacy of politics over all of the orders, including the religious and philosophical. Thus, Locke also writes in the uh, context of institutions uh, in the shift uh, to uh, Parliament uh, over the king. Clearly, then, Locke uh, speaks of a law of nature according to which we act. One question is, how is this law uh, uh, related to the uh, to that law depicted in the Old Testament and in the classical tradition 
from natural law that we saw in Cicero and Aquinas. Locke, in some basic sense, is a modern political philosopher, though he still has at least some a minimum of references to classical uh, tradition. Uh, David Walshett, uh, in his uh, a good uh, book, The Growth of the Middle State, uh, discusses this particular kind of an issue. One might also look to uh, Robert Goodman's essay on Locke in the History of Political Philosophy, edited by Strauss and Cropsey. Goodman writes, he says, the, quote, the desire for preservation can uh, be diverted, corrected, and controlled, but there is no way to diminish or eradicate its overwhelming power. So the desire for uh, preservation that comes from Hobbes. For this reason, uh, men do not need, uh, are not wholly uh, governable, and uh, the task of making mankind free under law can never be completed. Uh, the remedy for the evils of the state of nature never fully cures it. Men live partially, at least, always and uh, inescapably uh, in natural non-political conditions and always in danger of uh, relapsing into these uh, worst conditions uh, for men cannot be taught uh, to have feelings uh, contrary to their strongest desires which is either a desire for gain or the desire for to escape a uh, uh, violent death a government is powerless to change human nature. It must uh, accommodate itself to what cannot be changed. And the government that will not accommodate itself uh, to this passion in every man must be prepared to struggle against it endlessly with force and terror. But this, but the wise ruler will uh, do more than uh, accommodate himself. He will channel and guide, encourage and protect the desire for preservation and that therefore the desire for property and the desire for security and make of it a very foundation of law, freedom, safety, and uh, plenty for his people again we quote. And in his uh, introduction to the mentor edition of the writings of Locke, David Wooten wrote, quote, To this day, Locke and liberalism go hand in hand, as he intended that they should. And the problem he could not solve, the rational foundation of ethics, political philosophy, uh, economics, and economic equality, are ones that are still with us today, the end of the quote. You will notice in reading of Locke that Locke is uh, unintelligible without a knowledge of both the Old and the New Testament, particularly an account of Genesis, uh, the garden, the fall, and the uh, condition of man before and after the fall. The context of Filmer's book, uh, so you know, Locke is writing against a book of a man by the name of Richard Filmer, uh, and this, in this book, Filmer claimed that the authority of the king was of divine authority, protecting, defending, defining right of kings, and therefore 
illegitimacy of expelling the the monarch, and uh, one monarch in favor of another one, uh, because he was divinely founded. Uh, so again, so Locke is arguing against this, and it's written uh, so that the divine right of kings is not a medieval or a classical idea so much as it is a modern idea coming out of Hobbes and Locke. Locke seeks to uh, devise another theory, but notice as you read him uh, that themes we can see in Aristotle, Augustine, and Simone keep coming up, especially uh, whether the uh, uh, policy itself has any basis other than in power. Locke is directly or indirectly a philosopher who emphasizes rights in the modern sense of a content that is in principle empty of content, uh, consent, uh, labor theory of value, and the primacy of the parliament, the state of nature, and parliament itself. Pay attention to these as you read him. I want to come next to uh, follow up on Locke and, and uh, Hobbes with some comments on Rousseau who's another hundred years, more or less, after Locke. And so Locke and Hobbes, of course, are English, and so is French. And, of course, with, when, with France and the uh, later after Rousseau's time, the French Revolution, and he, of which he is said to be, in some sense, the uh, theoretical explanation. Now, Hobbes, Locke, and Rousseau are all contract theorists socialist contract theorists. That is, they begin by denying Aristotle's principle that man is by nature a social and political animal. They think man is basically individual in nature. Man is social only by argument. He does not find his perfection foreshadowed in nature as, as in Aquinas and Aristotle. Rousseau's second um, a social contract follows and is considered by him to be a corrective of Hobbes, Hobbes' Leviathan and Locke's Second Treatise. The work of Rousseau is considered generally to be the theoretical background justifying the French Revolution, the counter-thesis of which is provided by Edmund Burke's famous book Reflections on the Revolution in France, a book well worth reading. The 19th century becomes a century whose politics are the result of the Napoleonic Wars, of the British Empire, and the rise of German philosophy and technology. Of figures like uh, Hume in England and Montesquieu in France, Spinoza in Holland, remain important. Kant, Hegel, Feuerbach, Marx, and Nietzsche, later Heidegger, become principal figures in intellectual reflection, and these are all Germans. The essay on Rousseau in uh, Strauss-Kropsey, History of Political Philosophy, was written by Alan Bloom, who also has an edition of Rousseau's Emile. Uh, his book, on education, uh, which is Rousseau's book on education. He says, Rousseau received the 
uh, quarrel, the, uh, quote, was only seen to revive the quarrel between the ancients and the moderns. Uh, in restating the case for ancient city, for the ancient city, that city was not founded on comfort, self-preservation, or science, but on virtue, uh, the science of simple souls. Virtue, in the classical sense, means good citizenship and qualities that necessarily accompany it, you know, from Rome. Hobbes founded the state on uh, preservation, Bacon on science, and Rousseau is said to have, uh, in some sense, reintroduced Platonic uh, Plato into modern thought, but in a very uh, peculiar way, as we will see. He has said he is one channel through which modern absolutist thought uh, enters through uh, his uh, theory of law, through uh, Rousseau's theory of law, as we'll see. Hobbes, Locke, and Rousseau begin with states of nature. That is, they begin with the individualist premise, which denies that men that man is by nature a political animal. Whether in this state of nature he is good, bad, or indifferent are uh, starting points of Machiavelli and Hobbes, or, or, or who says that it is evil, and Locke who says the state of nature is indifferent, and Rousseau who says it is good. Bloom writes, quote, one can say that there are two roads uh, from the state of nature and that they do not meet. The line leading to civil society, uh, the other to the uh, condition of men like Rousseau. One looks forward to the future and to the transformation of man. Uh, the other uh, looks uh, passionately for a return to nature. Looks backward. And there are these and there is no harmonious solution uh, to the human problem. And there are unsatisfactory alternatives at tension with one another. The statesman uh, versus the dreamer uh, or the poet. They are mutually exclusive. One is left with a sense of incompleteness or uh, uh, imperfection in Rousseau's view of human life. Uh, civil society does not satisfy uh, uh, does not satisfy much that is deepest in man. The dreamer uh, Rousseau's uh, Rousseau has a book called Reveries of a Solitary Walker uh, cannot live well with his uh, fellows and in the state of nature uh, where the, uh, the spirit had not occurred, man was not really man. He was not man in the state of nature because he didn't uh, exercise uh, his relation to others. Rousseau has many memorable statements. It is the discourses on the origin of inequality. When we read, the first person who, having enclosed a plot of land 
took it into his head to say that this is mine and found people are simple enough to believe him was the true founder of civil society. What crimes, wars, murders, what miseries and horrors would have the human race have been spared had someone uh, pulled up the stakes and uh, filled in the ditch and cried out to his fellow men, do not listen uh, to this imposter. You are lost if you forget that the fruits of the earth belong to all and that the earth uh, belongs to no one, the end of the quote. So you can see in that kind of a quote the, the reflection of many kinds of modern ideology that we uh, can make all property common, that the evil is always uh, caused by uh, material goods and their ownership. Now, of course, Rousseau had in mind immediately Locke and the whole uh, tradition of private property from Aristotle's refutation of Plato's commonality of wife, children, and property. And the Garden of Eden is here also uh, the notion that in the state of nature the whole world belonged to everyone. Private property is a theory of how what is common to all can increase and be uh, productive for all. Aristotle said that in the state of nature, no one would take care of anything. And uh, Locke uh, wanted to show <clears throat> that men working on nature would uh, make it more productive. But Rousseau's uh, amusing in Aquinas, we have the notion that the fruits of the earth do belong to everyone, but that they uh, will not be brought forth uh, in any reasonable way without private property. The social contract is not very long, uh, about 90 pages, divided into four books uh, or parts. Remember, Rousseau was from Geneva. Of all philosophers, Rousseau lived uh, one of the most personally disordered lives possible. Uh, uh, no mean feat, uh, to be sure, even in France. See the chapter in Rousseau in Paul Johnson's book, uh, The Intellectuals, and see what uh, Rousseau's in, uh, introduction uh, to his first book uh, reminded you of. The first sentence of chapter one of book one of the social contract is, man is born free and everywhere he is in chains. He who believes himself uh, the master of others uh, does not escape being more of a slave than they. How do they change their, how does this change take place? I have no idea. What can render it legitimate? I believe I can answer this question in the end of the quote from Rousseau. Modern political philosophy generally uses the term rights rather than duty or law. There is reason for this, uh, best uh, explained by Hobbes, namely that there is no order or law of nature uh, in the sense of a natural law. 
man is the uh, in the state of nature was free to do whatever he would or could or wanted to to stay alive and prosper. This was his right. Rousseau uh, thought the uh, mechanism uh, that Hobbes and Locke and others used to get out of the uh, nasty state of nature only imprisoned us uh, more in, uh, in, in nature. And he meant government uh, itself, uh, the change. So he says, uh, quote, the social order is a sacred right which serves as uh, a foundation for other rights. Nevertheless, this right does not come from uh, nature. It is, uh, therefore, formulated upon uh, convention. A convention is a custom or an agreement. Another name to know in this uh, period is that of Hugo Grotius, uh, the Dutch lawyer, who is thought uh, with the Jesuit Suarez to be the founder of modern national international law. The question is, what is this international law based on? If based on Hobbes, it has only force as its justification. Rousseau mentions Grotius often. Again, Rousseau is uh, uh, amusing. Quote, Grotius denies that all human power is established for the uh, benefit of the government, citing slavery as an example. His usual method of reasoning is always uh, to uh, prevent fact as proof of right. A more logical method could be used, but not uh, one more favorable to tyrants, near the quote. And the question is, why is that amusing? In chapter 7 on Hobbes, for whom the power of the Leviathan state controls all morality, and then he says in chapter 8, there will always be a great difference between subduing a multitude and ruling a society. Why is this? The social contract is legally before the organization of uh, government. The law of the majority rule is itself an established convention opposes unanimity on at least on one occasion. Recall what Simon said about unanimity. And incidentally, the Simon book on authority is written directly against the thesis of, um, of Rousseau. The exact reasoning behind this social contract of Rousseau is in chapter 6, where he says, quote, Find a form of association which defends and protects with all uh, common uh, forces the person and the good of each uh, association, and by means of which each one, while united uh, with all, nevertheless obeys only himself 
and remains as free as before. You will probably have heard the maximum of the term alienation used in our political discussion. It is often found in Marx. This is its origin. The same chapter, quote, These clauses properly uh, understood are all reducible to a single one, namely the total alienation of each associate together with all his rights to the entire community. Moreover, since the alienation of is made without reservation, the union is a perfect, uh, as perfect as possible, and no associate has anything uh, further to demand. And I'll read this paragraph carefully as it, uh, think about this carefully, as it betrays a kind of political mysticism in which all is absorbed into the all. It is in uh, uh, chapters 8 that one of the most famous and um, infamous passages in all of political philosophy is found. Thus, in order for uh, the social compact to avoid being um, empty, an empty formula, it tacitly entails the uh, commitment uh, which alone can give force to the others that whoever refuses to obey the general will to be forced to do so by the entire body. This means uh, merely that he will be uh, forced to be free. We do well to uh, meditate on this reasoning of the uh, adverb merely in uh, that last sentence, though they will be forced to be free. So this is um, some comments on Black Hobbes and Rousseau, a kind of a consistent thing about the spirit of the modern political order, which is based upon rights which themselves have uh, presupposed are nothing in nature uh, except our desire to do whatever we want to do. The structure of the state, in some sense, is in order to enable us to achieve this. And uh, particularly in the case of Rousseau, uh, he once uh, said that he would return to Plato in the sense that he uh, came from, he wants this, uh, remember we said when we were talking about Hobbes, um, that in the state of nature, um, if someone didn't agree with the uh, uh, will of the, of the Leviathan, uh, he would be forced to do so, but he didn't have to change, he, didn't, he couldn't by virtue of the argument change his mind. What Rousseau saw was that uh, the only way you can really uh, assure uh, external peace is to have internal peace and therefore not to allow any kind of uh, uh, internal disagreement. So yeah, this way he gets bringing this question about being forced to be free. Uh, that is being forced to uh, think what the state thinks. And this is why that Rousseau is so often considered to be the origin of our totalitarianism 
and of modern state practice, which more and more says that you cannot disagree with the positive laws of the state because there is no other law of the state, and not to agree with them is to cause dissension within the state. So it's very important to understand that these three um, authors, though, when they, when they might look at first point uh, to be uh, relatively uh, sane and innocent, in fact, if they uh, think they are a little bit, are the foundations of uh, potential uh, political disorder of the end of the lecture. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.